Hello. I'm here today with a lovely chap called Mike Holmes. And Mike is a graphic designer and a milliner. And we've become pals through my love of Mike's hats that he makes through the long shot EXP. So hello, Mike. And how do you oh. feel today? Uh, I'm I'm feeling quite good now. I've uh, I've hacked my dopamine this morning. I've just uh, come back from the school run and straight in the workshop, finished off a hat, boxed it up. So yeah, so I've uh, yeah one one uh, one job ticked off the list. Like we've just been been talking, you know, one small step and it inspires you to take the next one. So yeah, I'm uh, I'm. I, now I feel I feel that I feel quite nice. Yeah, feel quite comfortable. That's great. Do you know what your next thing on the list is today? Cutting. Um, well, so I've got some bits cut. I've got a few hats to make. So I could. I've probably got the brims and some small pieces cut already. So I need to decide: Do I want to cut the whole hats and have them there and work through? Uh, or do I just jump on with these brims that are ready to go and again get that sort of another little step out the thing feel good and inspire so yeah I might just uh, yeah go straight into doing the brims yeah step by step and is that is that always the way where you try to sort of complete things or do you sometimes have more of a conveyor belt going on that's yeah so in the past the conveyor belts, which seemed like, well, I suppose on paper, you know, mathematically, that would be the quicker way. Do one process, go through that, all the way through, finish them all off at the end. But from experience, uh, my joy, perhaps, in making uh, dips because I feel I haven't made anything. Though I can rationalise that I have done a load of work, you know, that today has been successful and we're you know 60 percent along this job if i haven't finished making an actual hat there's something inside that tells me i haven't achieved regardless of how i can rationalize it it's still a little niggle that says you haven't finished you haven't finished so yeah the conveyor has to be shortened to uh yeah get a few done yeah, finished, and then move on to the next few. That's the that's that's what works for me now through sort of uh, learned practice. I think it's great, isn't it, to to understand yourself well enough to to know that's what suits you. Um, I, I've got to ask you, why hats? Accessible, it was an accessible uh, product, really, uh, from the scale production scale. Uh, from the speed that you can get from one end to the other, from making the pattern. When I left school, I left school at 16 um, with being very good at maths and on paper, not very good at art. Um, and when I went to the careers person to pick up my GCSEs uh, and I said, I'm going to college to learn to make clothes. And they were like, well, this is ridiculous. You've got English, maths, and science are your only GCSEs. You, you should go and do A-levels. Uh, and as a 16-year-old, I knew better. And now as a 47-year-old, I feel, feel quite uh, proud to know that I actually did know better uh, because I think making clothes, making making things generally is what I'm meant to do. It gives me 
joy. I think it gives me a, a you know a pride and a sense of who I am that I create things and the the sort of the we've spoken before that the maths element of creativity is is what excites me. That's why graphic design appealed because it's on you know you start from numbers. It's numbers based. So when I started making the hats. I had stopped being a graphic designer as my wife was going back to work after our second child um, was born. Um, so I, I stopped working as a graphic designer where I was in Liverpool and sort of out all day because I was living in Manchester, getting the coach to and from Liverpool. Um, so I was at home with, the, with, with two small children and very quickly kind of missed that creativity that which I, like I say, I kind of... I gain a lot of who I am from creating things. Uh, I'd initially thought I might become a freelance graphic designer, uh, but that's a you know, you know as yourself as being a sort of one man. But it's it's difficult to get those exciting jobs, and I perhaps selfishly only wanted to do exciting jobs, you know, and branding and and things like this. So a sort of quick way of doing an exciting job was well i'll just make up a brand myself um so i've got a reason to keep playing around with graphic ideas and promotion and the vehicle for that was i wanted to make a hat for myself i had the pattern cutting skills from my time uh, learning to make clothing and yet i could do it on the dining room table with initially my mother-in-law's sewing machine made a hat, you think, oh, I'll photograph it, I'll make a logo, set up an Instagram, um, and just put it out, you know, and it was sort of, it was more a way of keeping a graphic design practice uh, than anything else. But then, you know, it was enjoyable, you get good feedback from friends, and like, oh, I'll make another one, and, you know, the ball rolled, and uh, nine years on now, it's... Uh, yeah, it's 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 who I am. That's brilliant. I love it, and I really like killing many birds with one stone. And the thing you're doing is a consequence of something else you love doing. It's great, Mike. And and I've seen obviously on your Instagram and that that you've got some pretty cool people wearing your hats. How did they discover you in the first place? It, I mean, it really all comes through Instagram. I'm not. I know that, you know, we sort of, it's a part of our world, social media. Um, but I'm a visual person, so Twitter doesn't appeal to me. I'm not really, in, what's the uh, the phrase? Opinions are like arseholes. Everybody's got one and most of them stink. Um, and it feels to me that Twitter, maybe, you know, reading lots of people's opinions isn't necessarily what I, I want to, it doesn't appeal to me. So the visual nature of Instagram uh, works. People often say, "Oh, you should get on on TikTok and kind of do that." Because, but again, that I have to. I suppose I am my, I'm my own customer, and a lot of people, you know, uh, who who are who are the customers are, are quite similar to me, similar in age, in things that they like, you know, creative backgrounds yourself, you know. Uh, so I, I kind of think if this is what I if this is how I like it, then those people who are like me 
probably I can find them here. Uh, and there's an amount of every now and again reaching out. I know you found the hats, I think, first on the Hyatt Denim uh, newsletter, yeah. which yeah. I, I subscribe to. I subscribe to various things and then I, I unsubscribe. If it's not interesting to me, I, I want, I, I unsubscribe. I don't like having lots of emails coming in. Whereas the Hyatt one, the, I always would find something that I would click on and find something else I liked. So I love that format that as well as obviously it's a sales tool, but it's saying, you know, this is what we found in design. This is what's interesting in culture. You know, there's always something. And I kept seeing the little do one thing well. And it took me a while, but I must have been, you know, it was in a period of, of uh, positivity and a bit of, you know, uh, yeah, I felt, yeah, you know, I, I do one thing very well, you know, and I, I think I should be on there, which on some days, because, you know, I could look there and think, why are they, you know, yeah, there's days where I'll look and I'll think, why are they not coming to me and seeing me and I'll mope. And then other days when you realize, actually, you need to kind of reach out. So one day I was positive and I just sent them an email and said, you know, I think what I do would be interesting here. Unfortunately, they thought so as well. Uh, so it's it's little uh, connections like that. And it's, I mean, bravery seems like too big a word, but it is, it's, uh, there's some days you feel a little bit braver and you think, you know what? And I do think, I think social media is very good for that, that you can contact a person in a way that you never could before, you know, a musician you like, and they're all, it's good because you realize we're all just people and you can just send them a message that goes straight to them and say, Hey, you know, I love what you did there. Or, you know, you could just be, just get in touch and say something that you feel it's genuine. Often they come back. Um, I suppose the biggest, uh, star who bought some hats was Everlast, Everlast from House of Pain, which like sixteen year old me. I mean, I think he came back when when he, we got in touch, and that was through a brand Pata in Amsterdam, who I think have a really fantastic way of kind of, you know, uh, everything. Every brand kind of wants to talk about community nowadays, but I think theirs is you know, is very much solidly based in the community and in raising up, you know, people and, you know, highlighting the, the people around them. So I'd got in touch with one of the founders, G, again, from, you know, feeling brave one day and sending him a, a DM. Um, and it was through G, that a guy in London, uh, Fat Sharif, who's a photographer, and a, you would definitely describe him as a dude, you know, it's just <laughs> guys, and as you, you know, as you meet different people, if the if the London based, they're like, oh, I know Fats. You know, I think he's been he's been around, sort of finger on the pulse for a long time. Uh, so Fats bought a hat, and Everlast is friends with Fats, and he saw this hat, and he was like, "Where did you get that?" So yeah, that sort of uh, that was like a like a really like wow moment of you know him. I I wonder if I could get some of these hats. Like, well, of course you can. You know, yeah. So it's uh, yeah. How do you, how do you get to to 
to these people that you I think it's just those moments of when you're feeling strong or brave, kind of seize it and go, right, yeah, all right, we're feeling good today. Let's some of those things that I've been umming and ahhing about, let's let's put them in action and just see what comes back. And if nothing comes back, you've not lost anything, you know. Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? How I can relate to everything you're saying, where I've got this whole catalogue of things. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do it. And it might be days or weeks, and you're not picking off any of them. And then one day, you might do 10 of them in a day. I think maybe these days, I'm going to try and just do one a day and just think of them as when you were talking earlier about completing something and the satisfaction you get from that. If I can frame them like that more. Yeah. But, uh, but I understand what you're saying. It's tricky. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's funny as, as hats as a metaphor or a kind of vehicle what i realized I'd, i wore hats a lot i was a skateboarder you know and um there's people who are very good at skateboarding and then there's the rest of us who realize it's probably better learning a few tricks and being very good at looking trying to look cool like a skateboarder so you know how you wear the hat and this and that um so i was you know you put yourself out there and you want it to look cool. And as I got older, kind of become a bit quieter and, you know, it doesn't seem appropriate to, to dress like a, you know, and it isn't to dress like an 18 year old skateboarder. And, but I realized that the days I wore a hat were the days I felt a bit up, you know, I felt a bit like, yeah, you know, I've got this. And then everything, everything you wear kind of, you just, you're not putting on that invisibility suit. You kind of, you know, you're happy to stand out. And I thought, well, maybe what if on the days that I'm feeling a bit like I'd like to disappear or just be, not disappear, but just be, you know, not noticed. What if I put that hat on anyway? And then I'm kind of, I'm out. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to step up, you know. So it was sort of, you know, and, um, when you feel like you want to hide, Maybe those are the days where you kind of, you know, you use those cool things or those things that make you feel cool to push you up, to act like a shield, you know, and I, yeah, let's let's do this. And if I've got that, I'm going to be forced to kind of just, just step up a little bit more and maybe that can push me through and get that feeling that I want to, you know, uh, to hide. We're just going to have to leave it at home because I'm, I'm out here now with the hat on, yeah. I guess that's the cool equivalent of the businessman in a suit in the old days when we were kids. But maybe you instill a bit of that, in, put that bit of that into your hats because I, I wear them all the time. And I, and when I put one on, I do feel not cool. I don't know if I'm capable of that, but <laughs> I do feel a lift. Yeah, and I think it's uh, because I see, obviously we've talked uh, in this on, on, on screens. So... I see you kind of move the hat around and sometimes it's a little bit, you know, and that is a, like, I'm not one, uh, I don't pop the collar, you know, that's not, that's, that's not my, that's not my thing, but there's those little, uh, like small tweaks to, to clothing or how you wear something. I mean, the people who wear hats best, it looks effortless. There's a guy, Paul Bradshaw, who does Straight No Chaser magazine, like Acid Jazz magazine, and he's just a real cool dude anyway. And he 
nearly always wears a hat and it or it just it looks like it's just dropped on you know it's like it's that and whether he is just incredibly cool or whether he's just practiced it well to the point where when it goes on it just goes on right there's actually a, there's a guy at the top of the road and i think he must be he looks quite a lot like Jacques Cousteau. You know, he's got the, a very uh, sort of Gallic nose. Uh, maybe in his 70s, he's very thin. It's two two brothers who live next door to each other. Uh, and this this one who looks more like Jacques Cousteau um, always wears hats. And he just wears them so, so well. He sometimes, I see him at the supermarket occasionally. Where he's different to when you see him in his garden and he wears like a pink flat cap. Um, he wears various caps that are the kind of way that I'd like to make the bob because I made Serge first and it's like this a lovely head shape. It's very rounded. You know, it's a, you know, a cosy kind of fit to your head. But then Bob wanted to have that, you know, like an old kind of broken down, but just kind of perfectly disheveled look. So he's got hats and I imagine, you know, these are maybe bought, you know, 1970s and he still wears the same, but they've got that, how it sits and how it, it sort of, you know, the creases have gone in. It's so wonderful. And I've just recently, because he's a very quiet person, and I thought, you know, when you think you can catch someone's eye and I never managed to, and just last week he was chopping down his hedges and I thought, oh, this is a, you know, I'll just say, oh, you, you know, you're chopping back for spring growth. The kind of that was the first time I'd struck up a, a conversation with him. But it was like, I've got to speak to this guy because he just wears hats so well, you know. And it, yeah, just very well practiced. Yeah. And did, did you have a chat? I did. Yeah, yeah. Because what ideally, I think he'd be a wonderful uh, model. Yeah. You know, I'd love to to shoot. And there's actually a couple who live next door to him, uh, two two women, and one of them. You know, when you see someone, you think, I would wear every I would wear everything in your wardrobe. You just look so cool. Just your, your jeans are just right, you know, a little turn-up. She's always got great trainers on. Uh, and she often wears a cap. And again, she's another. And I have, I've spoken to her quite a bit, and I've even kind of mentioned the idea that, you know, Utopia, which is a difficult conversation with a, like a woman on the street. Hey, would you uh, ever thought of modelling? You know, it's it's not that comfortable a, a conversation, but it's just seeing these people that from a, you know, I've, then I've got my brand head on, and I'm thinking of my kind of demographic, if that if that's what it was, and um, I don't want to kind of, I don't want it always to be me. You know, because it's not that comfortable always looking at my face on Instagram wearing the hats, but it's good for people to see it on a person's head. And I don't want to, not that there's not 18 or 20-year-olds who would look cool in the hats and you could do it, but I kind of, this it was looking to find those people who just just look right, you know, and, and look kind of enough out of the ordinary to really stand out because my, you know, social media reach is, is small, you know, and I, I don't do any sponsored posts or this or that. So it's, uh, 
you want to create something that, that looks a bit different. And yet I think immediately sitting it on a sort of an older person who I just know would wear it perfectly. And, you know, a woman, she's probably similar age to me, you know, mid forties, again, not a typical kind of model, but would just, she's just got such good style. Um, you think, yeah, you'd be such a, you know, that would just, that's how I would like the long shot to be perceived by these kind of people who've really grown in and they're just, yeah, they're just so practiced and and not a sort of uh, conscious practice. Mm-hmm. But just, yeah, you know, they kind of obviously put themselves together well and kind of consider it. And over time, you can throw bink, 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 and you just know it goes together so well. Yeah, so it's... Uh, they're almost a metaphor for what you'd want your hats to be over time. Yeah, yeah, you know, to just have that sort of... Uh, there's that, you know, there's the effortless cool, you know, you'd look, you know, um, Steve McQueen is often, you know, on those kind of inspirational style sites. You yeah. know, you've just got that. But I think, you know, these people are, are out there, you know, it doesn't have to be a... You know, and the, the people you spot around and the those that stand out and who are probably, you know, like you say, you know, we meet people who are who are like-minded who then when you yeah. kind of look at this person, you think, I like what's going on there. And then you get to know them and you've got so many similar touch points. It's so, brilliant yeah. when that happens, isn't it? Because you don't know why initially you're just drawn to somebody or something, aren't you? And then it's great when it's not, disappointing afterwards and it just builds it's really yeah, cool. yeah. You, you know you say oh you know what have you been listening to and it, it's this and all of that yeah that it just is just these things i often think about doing a a a project around physical algorithms you know and these places that we used to go prior to you know the algorithm and seeking out things on, on social media but i think that we still do um you know, I think about the the skateboard shops that we would, I would go to, the record shops, the people that you would kind of go to. They were your sort of a, a physical or social version of what, you know, the algorithm is maybe, you know, when you, you know, because we were still, you know, now it might be that a streaming service sees that we've listened to X, Y, and Z, so feeds us something that we're going to like based on what it thinks from that. Uh, whereas we used to kind of search it out, we would look for these people who also had the same band T-shirt or, you know, certain marks on the shoes was always the skateboarder one. You know, you would look, you'd just be staring at this person's shoe because they had a hole in this particular spot. And you're like, well, they skateboard. So, <laughs> you know, now we've got, now we've got to find a way to kind of sit next to them and and, and speak, you know. Uh, but yeah, you know, you do, you sort of, sometimes it's a sort of natural draw to it. Or sometimes you have to seek it out and think actually, yeah, you know, maybe I've got to go over there and like seek this person out or, you know, like yourself kind of, you know, I think you do it very well from kind of seeing people. And do you think for you having the platform to kind of frame, I've got in touch with you because I do mood and, I do this podcast and I would like to talk to you. Does that make it easier for you to reach out to people who you think would just it be does? Happy? It does now because there's a sort of tangible reason for them to um, 
for us to connect over. But everything you talked about earlier about um, being yourself effectively and then being drawn to other people, it's exactly that. It's a very slow way of doing things, but it feels like it's got um, a solid foundation and integrity to it. And I couldn't really imagine doing it any other way. And I couldn't imagine you doing it any other way. So what I keep finding is I keep meeting people who have a similar sort of outlook. And I, I think it's exactly what you're talking about. And um, when you talk about that uh, physical algorithm thing, I'd never thought of it like that before. I think it's a great idea to do something around that. But that's exactly what you're talking about. So um, I wondered, it made me then think about your skateboarding days and wondered where... What else was brought to you as a consequence of the the things you were drawn through through skateboarding? I mean, it's uh, like so much of the music I listen to, you know, things that come on, you know, I listen to because we liked hip hop music. And now one of the things I love about hip hop is that I could spend a year never listening to a rap song, but through listening to jazz, funk and soul that I know because it was sampled yeah, I actually am listening to hip hop all the time because it's all got this thread. Um, but like my parents, like many of, of their age, you know, love Motown. So we grew up with, you know, Stevie Wonder songs and uh, yeah. sets in the car. And then you hit like 13, you're like, oh, oh, I don't like any of this. And then there was a video called Love Child by World Industries. I think it must be like maybe like 1991. If there's anybody skateboarding listens to this, they'll check me on it. It's around about that very early 90s. And all of the songs, because previously it would often be, you know, a skateboard video would have, you know, it'd be punk or it'd be hip hop. Always a bit more kind of subcultural or kind of, you know, these these kind of genres of music. This video was called Love Child. And... uh, one of the first songs on it was Diana Ross's Love Child. And all the way through, the majority of the music for the skateboarders' different sections um, were Motown songs. And it was like, well, I love this. But I couldn't love it be- when it was in the car, you know. So it sort of uh, it, it allowed this sort of acceptance of stuff. So, oh, actually, it is cool to like Stevie Wonder. Um, and in... I know it's very different for sort of uh, skateboard videos now. A friend of mine um, runs a skateboard shop in Liverpool, coming into its 25th year of business, which is incredible. Uh, and he's, when they produce, you know, little videos to go online, you know, they've got to speak to friends to get music in because if you use anything, anything at all, that sort of, you know, is unlicensed or this or that, it's taken down immediately. Whereas... During the 90s, skateboarding was so beneath the radar and the sort of how media was uh, distributed meant that only skateboarders really saw it. So they could use, they didn't have to license anything. So this, the sort of curation then of the music within the skateboard videos, you know, was was wild. You know, some of the just fantastic music. And then, like I say, those of us who were, found our limits early on in what we could achieve on the board uh, in relation to tricks and sort of stunts and this and that, you then, you kind of, you know, it's the style that I'm looking for. There's, 
certainly people of my generation will often say, I would rather watch Gino Iannucci push than watch any other skateboarder do anything. You know, that his, his push, just how his body moved when he was pushing along, is so sublime that no, no stunt by anybody else, no incredible super ramp, double flip, somersault can come close. And that, you know, it's, um, there's a big competitive element to skateboarding industry now. It's included in the, the Olympics, but I've never watched competitive skateboarding and never would. And it's, uh, it was always based around style. You know, it's, it's, I suppose now it's a curation. That person thinks, you know, it's a, how they kind of move, even sort of how people fall. You know, they've kind of curated their choice of tricks, their choice of, you know, whether they do things in a skateboard park or it's a street-based. All of those little choices define that style of that skateboarder. And really, that's why people kind of follow a particular brand or a particular skateboarder, because you can be a professional skateboarder and never, ever uh, enter a competition that where you are in the rankings isn't isn't important but for different sort of people you know that is how they do and for some sponsorship that is but for a lot of the skateboard industry and i suppose surfing and maybe those two more so than snowboarding i think snowboarding kind of came of age in a a sort of time when there was there was money going in so when snowboarding kind of came up you know, there was Red Bull and there was X Games, so it was very quickly sort of, you know, there was more sponsorship and commercialization. Whereas, yeah, skateboarding was just kind of just scruffy people, you know, and we were just obsessed with the uh, this trick choice and the clothing, you know, how how high are the, you know, this month do I put a turn up on my jeans or do I need to cut the bottoms off? Those are the important choices, you know. I've got a, I told you that I've got a really good buddy here who's set up a skate park in town. He moved here from uh, somewhere in England, I'm not quite sure where, but they moved on to a farm and he used to tell me how he was so into it where he was that when he came here, he just set up like a pipe in his barn and basically no one around here had seen something like that and kids used to go around there and ride up there miles just to see what was going on in there. But he just yeah. did it for the love of it. There was no sort of... Not what you're talking about, but he still embodied that, if you know what I mean. Um, but were you drawn to the, the sort of um, image of it first, or were you drawn to people actually doing things and thinking, my God, what is that? I think maybe a bit because a friend of mine had a skateboard, and I'll go around there, and this is, you know, I was probably about 12, 11 or 12 at the time. So I liked him playing on his skateboard and we were not doing anything. We were just rolling up and down the street. And that was my, you know, we had no view of what I, you know, come to sort of obsess about this style and that, you know, it was just, this was a different thing. Uh, I've never been like a team player. Whereas now I understand that is maybe more an anxiety of failing. So I thought, well, if I pretend I don't care about being on the team, I'm never not picked, you know. Uh, whether that was the right thing to do, but that was that was how I did it. So skateboarding 
you know, uh, it wasn't seen as a competitive thing. There wasn't a, an achievement to to get. It was just to get on this and see how it is. And I think I know that it's it's been successfully kind of taken to. There's a a place, Skate Pal. We brought skateboarding to Palestine, and you know, bringing children into it, um, and bringing it in as a a non-gendered activity uh, in a you know in in sort of societies where you know there maybe are kind of ideas on what certain genders should and shouldn't do. Skateboarding was able to come in without this competitive thing and with with a non-gendered kind of view. It's just this thing you roll and play it was a toy it's like a children's toy so it's sort of like a trojan horse was able to get in yeah. and, you know uh appeal to people without anyone seeing a, a challenge to it so at first it was just yeah michael Ryder had a skateboard and i wanted to play on it he got a new one and i got his old one and then we watched gleam in the cube and i can remember in his house, he lived just around the corner from me. I remember watching Gleam in the Cube, which is uh, Christian Slater and the uh, the Bones Brigade, you know, the kind of skateboard superheroes of the time. And my journey back from his house was one of the most exciting things of my entire life. I can remember coming out of his house, jumping on the board, and, you know, and I was, yeah, like... What I was doing was what I'd just seen. So that was my first sort of view of, of skateboarding as this, like, wow. Um, and then you kind of, you find your way into it. Mm. You find the people. There was one older boy, Brody, in our school who also skated. Um, and he must have lent us like a VHS of an actual skateboard video, um, a HC video. And then you start to see the style. Then you're hearing this sort of uh, kind of late 80s California, you know, punk music. And it's like, oh, this is, you know, my mom's going to hate this. This is brilliant. <laughs> uh, and then you, you find out, oh, it's the, the new Tesco that's been built, you know, 10 minutes away. The car park is where everyone meets up. So then you slowly go and you, you sit on the side and you see these kind of older kids who could do tricks, who were wearing the clothes, uh, and you just, yeah, you just kind of edge your way in, just little by little. But yeah, it's initially it was just, oh, this is fun. But then as soon as I saw the presentation of it, this, this you know, skateboarding as it was in these videos, I was like, hooked. this is the coolest thing ever. You know, this, this, defined every choice that i made for a long time you know on records that you bought and you know kind of where you hung out you know and then negatively as well you know you made certain decisions because you were worried about what these people were going to uh you know things i maybe liked and mm. didn't like i'm a very contrary person i've realized this sort of you know if it's if it's popular i can't listen to it you know <laughs> now that's uh 30 years on, there's a lot of albums that I can enjoy now. At the time, I was like, <laughs> you know, don't listen to that. And it's, uh, yeah, I missed out on some gold, but I can, fortunately, I can get back, get back to it now. It's never too late, is it, Mike? Ever. Oh, no, that's, no, and that's, that's a, that's a real thing to kind of know, isn't it? That, yeah, my mum 
after four children and having left school, you know, really did not enjoying school and coming away with no um, qualifications. After my, my youngest sibling was born, she went to uh, the Vauxhall Road Centre and it was very, uh, it was around the time of educated Rita, you know, and it's a load of Scouse women who thought, no, you know, we like literature. And they went along and my mum did some GCSEs, A-levels, BA, MA, PhD, in a row. Wow. Like, and that really, I kind of, uh, was really inspirational. Maybe not, I didn't realise at the time, but then when I left school and didn't kind of want to continue in education and do this and that, I always had this, this example there that when you're ready, you yeah. can really go. Yeah. So yeah, I I didn't go to university till was it like 2009? So in my early 30s, um, and I, you know, I'm gonna say I bossed it. You know, <laughs> like I was just I was ready. You know, and I was I was really kind of just rabid for learning to do this graphic design. You know, I knew this was this is what kind of suited me and I could I could really do this well. So yeah, she was a wonderful example of it's never too late. Yeah. You know, when the time comes, you know, then you can go. It's a bit like when we were talking earlier about having these things in the back of your mind and at a certain point in time it feels right. Yeah, yeah. That's great, Mike. We're coming to a, an end. Uh, it's bombed by as usual. <laughs> and I always ask someone at the end if there's anything they could leave us with that they might think is helpful to anyone listening in. So a bit of wisdom from Mike. Yeah, I mean, it's around that. And it is, you know, it's it's learning, knowing yourself and then knowing what, what gets you going. But that idea of complete one thing and yeah. get that feeling of good. There was in the, the podcast, I think they say, there's a Persian poet um, and they say the path appears with the first step. You know, and that's it. Sometimes you've got to uh, to know where you're going to go. You've just got to do that one little, little that's bit. That's Start your yeah, That's really cool. I've never heard that before. No. Well, but yeah, uh, thank you very much for. Yeah. No, it's been a lovely chat, and it's been lovely Powerful listening session. to Mike. <laughs> yeah, and I think the fact that we know each other now is testament to everything you've been talking about. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a sort of proof of of uh, these things too. You know, and you. Part of it's, you know, on those days when you feel you've got it, you feel that positivity, then then push, you know, go and like chase that little bit. But on those other days, just kind of have the confidence and the, the knowledge that, yeah, these these things will come, you know, like, yeah. you know, you keep putting the, the work in the right direction. You're going to meet someone down that road and it, you know, make the, make the journey easier. I, I, if it's any consolation, I didn't email you for a long time. <laughs> and then who'd have thought I'd be filling out a a, a cold water swimming questionnaire along yeah, the way as yeah. well? <laughs> when, when I told her that your journey started with Frazzled last night, she was oh, like, right. she was over the moon. She was like, ah, there you go, there you go, you know. So, it's, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's all these threads which are just, yeah, bringing us together. Yeah, great. Well, it's been lovely, Mike, and uh, let's stay in touch. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. Cheers. Take care. Thanks. Bye.